podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. I had a transportive conversation with Trina and Joshua of Ohm Training Group, who facilitate daily mindfulness meditation and walk mindfulness as a spiritual path. You're about to enter into the field of daily meditators. This is a place where perception widens and time dilates. There seems to be more bandwidth for picking up information and sensory input and an expanded buffer between event and response, like more frames of time have opened up to create more freedom to respond instead of react. I found that this conversation brought me into an elevated state, followed me into the next days, and gave me codes for accessing deeper levels of peace and awareness, and I'm sure that you'll feel brightened by these transmissions too. Trina and Joshua are also my housemates. I'm currently renting a room from them and I love them. If you enjoy this podcast, please support a year ahead by backing my current Kickstarter campaign that ends July 19th, 2021. At the moment of recording this, we're at day 16 with 60 backers and $8,636. I said that weird. $8,636. We need 12,000 minimum to be funded on Kickstarter, and my goal is to pass last year's funding by having more than 115 backers and 20K. That's what we made last time. The Kickstarter is for a year ahead of weekly forecasts, which I shared at this podcast as well, and Magic of the Spheres episodes. It takes everyone, each one of you, to crowdfund. So please feel into your heart and generosity. If you love this podcast, have benefited from it, if you find that it improves your commute, the quality of your day, your spiritual journey, any of that, please gift back by supporting another year. Thank you to everyone who has supported so far. The link is in the notes. Don't wait till the last minute. For backers, I'm offering talks on the astrology of 2022, visualization magic, and the astrological eros as well as a new creative writing course that's live, Image Hive, discounted tuition to the upcoming Evolutionary Astrology Intensive, spaces to book a reading with me before my prices increase for books reopening, and the replay of last year's online presence as performance art. There's still spaces to book readings with me through the Kickstarter, and all of the pricing tiers include, you know, besides the first one, but everything beyond the first one include gifts from the previous one wrapped in. So you end up really getting a package of talks and opportunities when you back this Kickstarter. I'm leaving the link in the notes. If you are a listener of this show, go back the campaign, take pride in your online community and the labor that goes into bringing works like this to you. And if you've been thinking about studying evolutionary astrology with me, this would be a great opportunity to enroll early because we're going to be starting again in autumn at a significant discount. One of my biggest callings in what I do is sharing the language of astrology with people and increasing astrological literacy. 
and helping people develop their very own personal relationship to astrology, where your intuition is part of it, where you feel the archetypes, where you connect them with your own inner world and inner experience so that they are your own too, that you're not just looking things up in books, which is great. You know, always I support higher education and research when it comes to astrology, but that you can close your eyes, feel into a transit and sense something from your inner vision. And that really comes from having a fluency and grasp of the language. The Evolutionary Astrology Intensive is a really special community experience and my signature course offering. You can find more information and student testimonials in the link in the notes to the Evolutionary Astrology Intensive. And now I will leave you to this sparkling conversation with Joshua and Trina. Welcome, Trina and Joshua. I'm so excited for this conversation, and I feel like the listeners, like when they hear both of you, will see how blessed I am to be staying here and just like how I got to land somewhere with such epic conversationalists mm-hmm. and very thoughtful people. Um, so perfect. And thank you, Shar, for bringing us in touch. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. a. Uh, synchronicity that was right just uh, for us to arrive here together and be where we are and be in each other's orbit it just happened so like I almost want to say the word like you know it was like so magical right and with such ease so that's yeah that was really beautiful yeah and we're so glad to have you here thank you so how did both of you find your way into mindfulness and then meet each other Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I can start by just giving you a background of how I came into mindfulness. Um, I grew up in a, you know, a Buddhist family. So I learned how to meditate at like the age of seven, you know, and at that time, it's like, what's the big deal? I feel my breath. I'm here. There's no thoughts. And, you know, I was like, what's the big deal with these adults trying to do this? What's so hard about this? Right. And so as I got older and on my return back to, you know, having a dedicated mindfulness practice in uh, about 2013, I really saw how necessary it was to um, develop a stable, calm mind, especially in the midst of running businesses you know, and how important that is to have that as a placeholder in my day. So I came back to mindfulness through Zen, Chan, and then through Vipassana. Um, and, um, <clears throat> and that's how I arrived at where I am. It's a culmination of all of that. And um, Joshua, you want to share yours and then we share how we met? Yeah, sure. So I, uh, my first experiences meditating were with transcendental meditation many years ago and uh, was introduced then and had some pretty profound experiences as a young child, young person, actually um, doing that and kind of dropped away and got into a whole nother kind of lifestyle and circled back around and really started doing some spiritual seeking in my thirties and ended up staying in a monastery and then staying in a retreat center and uh, studying 
um, Buddhist meditations, Zen and uh, tantric meditations um, and more. Wasn't really introduced to Vipassana uh, per se. Uh, my last, um, the last community that I lived in, spiritual community, was a yogic community. It was a tantric community. And so we practiced that kind of meditation. And while I had some really amazing experiences with that and saw the power of it, there was always something missing and my heart was always wanting to go back to the calm and ease that I found with um, essentially what I knew as mindfulness meditation. Um, but Zen had felt uh, just a little like a little too much like a straitjacket for me. And so um, while I was at the ashram, I had been hearing about the Portland Insight Meditation Community, um, and but hadn't been able to go there. And there was this one weekend, February 23rd. 2020 that I was like, you know what? Today's the day I'm going to go. And, uh, so I went and, um, immediately upon hearing Robert talk, I had this coming home feeling and the meditation was really what I had been yearning for. And at the same time sitting next to me was a woman whose face I had seen in a dream a couple of weeks before. Uh, and it's, I don't want to go overboard on this, but it's, it's happened to me so many times in my life where you can have an image or um, uh, an impression in a dream and you forget about it completely. It just is kind of passing in the dream. You may think about it, but you're not walking around in your waking life going, okay, where's the image of my dream? Where's the image of my dream? It's only when that image in the dream comes back that those two, that connection is made and you're like, oh, wow. And you remember the key piece is remembering that dream so vividly. You're brought instantly back to that moment of visualization. So, you know, it's not a manifestation of the brain. It's actually connecting the two ends of that circuit. And that face was Trina's. That's incredible. <laughs> and it was both of our first time at, yeah. uh, at Portland Insight Meditation yeah. community. She was yeah, visiting from was Chicago crazy. and I was fresh out of the ashram and was looking for a new community and there was a lot of uh you know um obstacles or things that was um uh i wouldn't say in my way but that i had to jump through to even uh, arrive at portland insight meditation that sunday from you know a flight that was like seven hour delayed and then canceled that was supposed to go to portland from chicago all the way to, you know, um, coming there. And then um, I was planning to go to another meditation center that Sunday. And then something called to me that night at midnight, you know, before the morning of and had me turn my direction to go to Portland Insight Meditation Center. And then after that was like, I was sitting on the bench and I, it had already started and I felt called to go to the cushion and sit and at, as it already started I just jumped over all these people and looked for the seat the seat closest to the front and there were two seats one my partner uh had came with me a dear friend and business partner and um uh we sat there and to my right was Joshua and that's how we met and here we are the rest is history as they say <laughs> and I was you know at the time I was like really I had you know I don't know if I want to say given up maybe oh bit, yeah we had both given up but surrendered 
yeah. surrendered Neither to the one of us was looking. Yeah, surrendered to the idea that I could ever meet someone who shared the same spiritual path and practice. And I said, all I really want, all I really want is someone who just, you know, um, supports me in, you know, what I want to do in life, which is to, you know, fulfill, uh, you know, a uh, my life's mission with uh, spreading mindfulness. And then not only does he support it, not just that, but he also is in it. Yeah. And does the dishes. <laughs> uh, more than that. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of that, like, Jack Cornfield's title or something. Like, first the ecstasy, then the laundry. Mm. <laughs> Being your spiritual practice. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if that's the meaning of the book, but... Mm. That definitely sounds mm. about right. And yeah, mm. it's like the old Zen saying, chop wood before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. Yeah, mm. but it's, I guess, so something that Trina has said that stuck with me was about because of mindfulness, the things that you do day to day are really joyful or yes. you get energy from doing them. I really Like do. you cook these beautiful meals. <laughs> times a day you're like I feel energized <laughs> where does this energy come from you know and even this conversation energizes me you know and you know what it is is like it's like you know everything we do in our life is the practice is the practice of waking up so when I say the practice, it's the mindfulness practice. It's the practice of being in the present moment. It the, it's the practice of, you know, waking up. So in, in you know, moving through my day, whether it's, you know, us cooking a meal or uh, me folding, you know, a laundry or watering the plants outside, it's um, really being with that experience fully, you know, fully and you know, alivened by that experience is like when I can allow my all my senses to interact with that moment. You know, so um, and 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 when we allow whatever we do to now not just be a chore, but when it, it shifts to becoming a resource anchor, where it allows us to anchor back into the present moment, back into our body, back into our breath, um, feeling you know ourself in space in the space um really uh brings up for me it brings a relaxation you know a quality of relaxation and in, in that place when i am doing the dishes and i feel relaxed i feel like even doing the dishes is like i'm cleansing and removing you know impurities it um it makes me feel cleansed inside Right? And, refresh. And, and if you think about what the draining part of any kind of duty or chore is, at least for me, it's the resistance to it. Mm -hmm. It's I don't want to be doing this. I want to be doing yeah. something else. Mm -hmm. This is tiring. This is it's the mind game about how we're not at. We want things to be different than they are. And that's a core tenet of the Pashna practice in Buddhism is really that suffering is caused by wanting things to be different than they are. And mm -hmm. Trina is a great example and has been for me of being present to whatever you're doing, doing it joyfully. And then you get energy. I still, you know, I don't want, I mean, you know, every once in a while she gets like, you know, her herbal medicine or something. Yeah. Right? Wow, this is magical because so Trina, you're Cancer and Joshua, you're Capricorn. So we're about to have a full moon in Capricorn. So it's the fullness of the um, sun in Cancer mm. or the sun in Cancer shining on the moon in Capricorn. Wow. But 
the thing that I wrote about in this week's forecast was about openness to life mm. and not resisting mm. like <laughs> everything because that's where suffering comes from. And wow. I just kind of, you know, that was in my field. So, Beautiful. wow. But, you know, I kind of got reintroduced to the idea for reading a David Data book. And have since, you know, it was a transmission and I realized that there's this deeper level of joyfulness within everything mm -hmm. if I open to it mm -hmm. and let go of the, yeah, the mind game, as you're saying, yeah. around wanting it to be any different. The attachment yeah. to wanting it to be different than it is. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how, how else are in maybe like a big picture or something, how would you describe like what mindfulness is? Hmm. Um, so, you know, mindfulness is to me, you know, first off, it's, it's concise knowing, knowing of the present moment. So while we are sitting here and we are talking with one another, you know, I'm aware of my body, you know, the weight of my body on this chair and I can feel the wind coming through from the door or from the ceiling fan and I hear the birds. So the, my awareness is really here. You know, all my senses are engaged in this moment. And that's what mindfulness is, is the awareness of this moment and the next moment and the next moment. As differentiated from the con the way we may feel like disembodied consciousness sometimes, and we've all had those moments where our body is somewhere and our mind is completely somewhere else, you know, where that shows up for me really very blatantly sometimes is in the car and I'll be driving and I could be thinking about something and go 10, 15, 20 miles on automatic pilot and then go, oh, here I am, right? And so that was a completely unmindful moment. So being present to or connecting the consciousness with the bodily experience, the sensations of the body is really one of the ways to put that, to be present to the feelings and sensations of the body as they're happening and to be with them. Yeah, and when we have that kind of you know mindful awareness in um, as a as a lifestyle, um, we have clarity, and that clarity allows for us to know exactly um, what's the next moment. You know, um, we can. You know, it's like sometimes people say to me like, "Whoa, it's like you have psychic power, or you're like a witch because you can." You'll say something and then it happens. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not any of that. What it is, is just, you know, being able to see clearly things as they really are. We can, I can, I can tell based on those causes and conditions that are already there, what is actually going to happen next? It's a sensitivity thing, isn't it? Mm. It's about being really conscious and present mm. to everything that's going on around you and being able to pick up on I don't know, energy, vibrations. I'm sure you're familiar with some of this, right? Definitely, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, for most people, I call it signal-to-noise ratio, right? Mm. The noise of our, of our um, discursive mind and of the opinions, feelings, and thoughts that we have about things is really the noise and the signal. And the signal is that intuitive, grounding, energetic field that surrounds everything. And if we can feel that vibration and feel that harmony or that, that resonance, that puts us in tune with those around us and our whole surroundings. So I love that concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember when I first heard the story of how you met, it was like, there's some kind of either like fate at play there or like listening to intuition or 
you know, because you were yeah. saying, Trina, that there were these different things like obstacles, but yeah. making these choices that led to that, Yeah, you know, and you having the dream and having that vision, you know, come to like in that moment. Like those were kind of signal moments. That's really interesting. As you're saying that right there, I'm grasping the two things that I had this, I don't know, metaphysical moment where she came in a dream or her image came in a dream and she had the sensitivity to, and the drive to push away from the edge and follow her intuition to who knows what. And I wasn't really following my intuition as much, I guess I was, I was guided to talk to her once I recognized what, I mean, when she turned to me on that meditation floor, I was like, Oh my gosh, it's the woman from my dream. I have to say something, right? I might not have said anything because as I said, both of us were pretty much checked out of relationship at that point. I had committed myself to being solo and she pretty much had too because we weren't able to find anybody who was a companion on the path and, and we had had our heartbreaks and failures around that, you know, and it was just better to go it alone at that point. So it wasn't like both of us were trolling the meditation floor. <laughs> it's exactly the opposite, actually. I was sitting alone. I didn't want to be next to anybody. And she wasn't like, oh, look at that guy over there. I'm going to go take a seat. It wasn't like that yeah, at all. It's like he was given up to spirit, you yeah. know, and synchronicity mm-hmm. can be the way. Totally. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I think there's also something interesting about that field of mindfulness or like being in touch with reality as it mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Um, or when people get into some kind of maybe like religious experience kind of state or something. And there's moments of that that speak to them. Like it ripples back into the past through intuition or dreams or something like that. Mm-hmm. So there's like a charge of the moment or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think those ecstatic moments as we experience them, either bliss or ecstatic moments are part of that field, which is a nonlinear field, right? It's not time has no meaning. Einstein himself said, you know, time is an illusion, albeit a persistent one. I mean, this is the father of space time, right? Said that no time doesn't really exist. And we use that as a metaphysical concept a lot of the time, but it's really, um, it's actually a fact. Yeah. And we get that. It just seems real sometimes more than others. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. As you're speaking about time too, what comes up to me, you know, in my mind about a mindfulness practice is, First, we practice, you know, slowing down our body and slowing down and relaxing our our body and coming in touch with our breath. And in the act of practicing slowing down in mindfulness, we can see things clear because everything appears like it's moving slowly. Yeah. So, so then, uh, you know, we notice that it's not, there's no such a thing as like multitasking where you can actually do two things at one time or pay attention to two things at one time, but we can actually start to notice, like I was talking to my participants the other day in our morning mindfulness and had them really notice how when you notice your mind is wandering, you're not aware of your breath. And then at the moment that you pay attention to your breath, you don't notice your mind anymore. So you can only be present to one thing at a time. So in this practice of slowing down, you really start to see things clearer. And what I notice in the last 10 years as I really deepen in my practices, you know, I get this comment a lot. People are like, you move so fast. Everyone says that to me, mm. you know, and, and when I look at it from my, you know, point of reference, I don't feel that I'm moving fast. 
I'm not a person who moves very chaotically or, you know, jump from one thing to the next. I actually feel like I take my time with things, but rather, you know, I, I don't know what, do, what do you, I know yeah. we, we had this conversation before. So there's a, there is definitely a relativity or an Einsteinian connection here. Sounds like the matrix. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> something like that. And I was just about to add that, uh, you know, Trina's, I've watched her and she's watched me like be in the kitchen and you can have really focused attention and be moving really quickly, but harmoniously with your environment. And it doesn't feel like you're rushing. Mm-hmm. There's something about the emotional speed at which we're moving. Cause it's not about our body body speed or mental speed. And that has something to do. And this is a developing thought that I've been working on, but it's really coming to me in Einsteinian physics. When you get closer to a black hole or a center of very powerful gravity, time slows, it dilates. If this is, it's just a fact time dilates. My eyes are widening for people who can't see. (laughs) And so there's something about, and, and as we move closer to the speed of light, Time also dilates. Those two things are related in that way. So when we're moving in this space, there's almost a quickening where time dilates, where our presentness is like gravity, like a gravity well. We're so present. Our consciousness is so present to this moment that time literally expands from from the inside out. And when you're doing four or five or ten different things, it feels like you've got more time. It's like Mm -hmm. everything is moving. It's like everything else is going in slow motion and you could just be moving and doing all these things. And people are going, wow, you move so fast. (laughs) Right? right? There's um, a channeled text. uh, This author, Sanaya Roman, has channeled a few books and they're some of my favorites. But there's one chapter on how you can morph time. That like Mm -hmm. when you're following your higher purpose or you're in your higher self-consciousness, that time will expand for you so you actually can like do your dharma they they weren't using the word dharma mm-hmm. in it, but just that sense that time does bend yeah i think it has to do and and i that's very true and i totally agree i think it as i've been developing and it, it's it's almost like our 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 consciousness has mass and when it collects and it and it and it gravitates in, in one place that the time opens up a little bit there's there's something there and i'm still working on it but yeah i think the other thing that comes to my mind too is that you know um there's there's a way in which we in that in that space we allow for things to flow so sometimes when you know trying to accomplish multiple tasks in a day and just knock them out one by one there's a way in which like I could go go through it where it's like I just want to tackle that task and you know check it off my list and then go to the next one and it's like it's like a a, a punching match or something rather but you know but if it was like if it was done in a way where a dance a dance or a keto right <laughs> yeah or like an aikido where it's just like mm-hmm. you just put a little bit of energy into it and it just moves mm-hmm. very quickly just the right amount and under the right condition and how you set it up has it move then you don't have to exert so much energy and then you can move to the next task and just kind of like give a little you know a little push right and um i find that it's like it's like allowing uh allowing the energy to flow naturally, you know, in as we move throughout our day, not resisting, not, you know, like over-efforting and just, you know, giving it the right amount of energy so that 
you know, it does what it does and we don't end up at the end of the day exhausted, we can accomplish more, right? Because sometimes we over exert ourselves in certain tasks or we, you know, we have misspent energy in different places. And so being mindful of all of our, you know, senses, all of our sense doors allow us to know how much energy to exert, you know, in our seeing, in our speaking, in our hearing, mm. you know, in our, our taste and in our touch and in our thoughts. So in all those ways, you know, how much to how much energy to exert in, in, in all those sense doors allows for us to be able to not just like flow through our day, but to also you know, it, it's like it's like there's a synergy that, you know, gets, you know, that happens that occur. And so um, we can accomplish more in the same amount of time in that 24 hour, you know, 10 hour, eight hour of a day. And yeah. And, and more to, and I think it's we like really like to get things done and there's a lot on our plates. But I don't think I'd classify either of us as pathological doers. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's there's we're just busy lives and everybody's yeah, got it. And yeah. When you love what you do. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask too about what landmark is. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love that work. I mean, I got into landmark about two years ago and it was just like, you know, it was a, um, <laughs> how do I say it? Like just, um, it was a, what's the right word? my former, you know, my ex-husband's attempt to try to get me back into the marriage. But little did he know that, you know, I'm a very, I'm a person, person who's determined and I, and, you know, when I say, you know, I'm in or out or done with something, it's over. And so I got into it through him. But um, what actually happened was um, um, I discover, you know, some of some of the things from my childhood that has me be who I am today on a very deep level, you know, and um, like my dad, you know, beat me when I was 10 and he, you know, he said that you're useless and you won't sum up to anything. And I'm the youngest of six. And I live my whole life from that moment on trying to prove it to my dad that, you know, I'm capable, I'm successful. I'm someone who is going to make a difference. I can contribute. And that's that's like the the hat that I wear. And I don't even know that I do that. All I know is that I'm all about contributing to people's lives. And that's where it came from, from that girl who got beat at the age of 10. And I carry that with me all throughout all my life. And so, you know, that's just one of the things that happened, you know, going into the Landmark Forum is we really get to unconceal all of our blind spots, you know, from the moment when we grew up and the first traumatic thing happened to us and what we made it mean and how we carry that throughout our life. It's like all of a sudden we open up to really seeing all of what makes up our identity. And then from there, you know, seeing how we live that past into our present and into our future, we have the opportunity to put that past, you know, back into the past and then what's left is this open space that we can create anything with into our future. And so that's just a, you know, just a taste of what happens in the landmark form and in all the landmark coaching course, group. What it is is actually it's a three and a half days of a, a transformative uh, course. 
So it's done online. Um, right now, because of the, you know, it was done in person before, there would be a room of 150 people, but now it's done online, like around 110 people. And, uh, you know, it's one of the most transformative courses I've ever taken. To me, if, you know, I, when I first came out of it, I said to a friend who was a meditator too, I was like, it's like as if someone spent like five or six, seven years meditating and they got it in three and a half days. So if you want to turbocharge your mindfulness practice, like an awareness, you know, and understanding oneself, that's a really great, you know, um, a great uh, program to to uh, begin that. And also to, you know, just kind of add more depth to what we already have in our spiritual and personal you know, practice, right? Um, and in the courses, there's, you know, so after you do the landmark form, there's all these courses around like communication, you know, um, uh, relationship, uh, what is it, um, um, integrity, you know, that's a conversation that I love talking about. And um, second intimacy, leadership, things like that, all those kind of courses. And you really have a an expanded community of people, of coaches, of participants, of people who are actually, you know, out to, um, committed to, um, to awakening that which is, you know, um, asleep in others. So that's what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. Anything you want to add to that, honey? It's a, um, landmark is, I'm, still fairly new to it and honestly I had done the landmark forum I don't know 15 years ago and uh, it was just part of a, of actually getting sober and uh, getting into recovery at that point it was one of the things that I was exploring and trying to dig up the demons of my past and get rid of the roots of the suffering that I had had in my life um, and I kind of forgot about it until I met Trina and she was heavily into it. And, you know, part of me was like, well, I can't let her have all the communication tools here. I'll be just like, you know, <laughs> defenseless against uh, a lot of really skillful um, uh, speaking and, and being able to talk into things. And so I needed a little bit, a bit of help with that myself. Um, for me, it's I've always distilled the spiritual path down to. Um, it's not a construction project. It's a waste management issue. It's about getting rid of all the things that are in the way mm -hmm. of what's naturally there. Mm -hmm. And Landmark's a really amazing um, set of tools for being able to cut through the garbage that's in the way of our communicating with others and being with others and communing with others. Wow, I love that image. Yeah. That's so, I just feel like the Capricorn magic in that too, because construction <laughs> and waste management are such Capricorn ideas. Oh, are they? But yeah, yeah, both of them, I feel like there's a sense, um, I think that the distorted cultural Capricorn is about always building up, mm. like just skyscrapers, totally. like let's just add more. Um, and then kind of like, let's not look at the trash. We'll just put it in a big <laughs> landfill somewhere. It's, that's what garages are for. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and to be able to like cut that clutter as it comes up mm -hmm. and have less of a massive, you know, cleanup at some yeah. point. Um, but also just the idea of like, um, 
those statues or the people, the artists who work with a slab of marble and they're like, it's, it's in there. You just have to cut away. Yeah. Michelangelo and, and yeah. oh my gosh, it's just That's amazing story. That? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was, I haven't used that metaphor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that he was able to see it in the marble and then would just make it emerge. It's like, I don't create anything. I oh, that's so off. funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't know who said it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you were telling me some things before, Trina, about um, communication. And mm-hmm. we started talking about language and I was getting excited. Yeah. Because... I love language and I feel like um, language is so common and so misunderstood at the same time because there's a lot of phrases even that just devalue language Mm -hmm. or like words could never explain or like, you know, just a sense of like, it's just talk or something like that, Mm -hmm. which I get maybe has a context in other situations, but the idea that like the word is actually like magical that they're kind of spells in some sense or when we say something it evokes a response or an image in another person or the way we talk to ourselves has an impact yeah so yeah so you know um the first thing i wanted to say is um in you know the the five precepts you know of the um, the Buddha's teachings. Um, one of the um, one of it is uh, you know um, is, is around skillful speech, right? Is around our speaking and um, and reframing from you know speaking things that are untruthful and using words to speak things that uh, cultivate uh, love and uh, kindness and compassion and you know of unity and. In that, you know, I really didn't understand the depth of that until I um, made the decision to become a vegetarian. And that was when the shift occurred for me to really be conscious of my speech. And when I became conscious of, you know, what I was consuming, what I was putting into my body, all of a sudden, like, it, I, it, took, it took on a, you know, a whole another dimension of what it means to even be conscious or live a conscious life and somehow in there I arrive at like noticing what I was saying and you know um first coming from thought and then you know from thoughts if it comes out through words you know how that affected me or affected you know those around me or how it would shape my reality and I started to play around with that a little bit. I said, well, if, you know, if, you know, there's a term in Vietnamese, there's a phrase in Vietnamese that says, um, um, uh, um, words don't cause a thing. So why not use words, you know, to, um, um, to sweeten, you know, the heart of another, right. To like as, as a nectar, um, and, um, and, you know, I thought about it for a long time because growing up, I always hear that. And I said, yeah, why don't we use language mm. as that, right? To water the garden of another person's soul, right? Um, or to use word in a way that, like, that really does, you know, um, promote love and unity and, you know, promote happiness and joy. And so, 
you know, if we actually made our word matter and that every word that came out of our mouth made it really matter and we took it as that, how would we speak differently? You know, how would we speak differently? And um, I mean, it's like saying like, you know, it's like when we speak and we say like, X is not possible or I can't do X, then, you know, that speaking shapes our thoughts and our actions, you know, and our emotions and our behavior around X is not possible or I can't do X. And so it becomes so. It becomes the reality as we know. It becomes real. Like you said, it's like a spell. Words can be like a spell, right? Yeah. And I was the kid who got punched for using words that were too big back in grade school, right? (laughs) I was, I had, you know, I've been all about words and vocabulary and specificity in their use. It was really my big thing, right? And I, uh, as, as a writer, that's really, you know, it's become a useful tool and I'm really glad that uh, that's just something that really interests me. It's sort of a mystery to me. And you um, referred to it in the way that you asked the question too. You were talking about it being kind of like a magical spell and words have meaning and they have meaning both for the people that were, that are receiving the words that we have, but they also have a, another, you know, reflective meaning on ourselves too, as Trina was talking about, you know, making things either possible or not possible in our experience. But I also think that, you know, they can be the phrases that we commonly use and take for granted. Things like this makes me feel that. Yes, Is I'm com- big on that. Ooh. Like editing that one out. Oh my gosh, it's such a disempowering phrase. And I hear people yeah. saying it all the time. And I think taking ownership and accountability for our own reality really begins with knowing that we're not the victim of any of that stuff, right? It's our own thinking. I, You know, I don't believe everything is thought. I mean, thought is a huge part of the interactive matrix or universe of energy that we have, right? It's our node for being able to transmit and receive on all the levels that we can access. Um, But but those the impact of those words can really be tremendous. And so so I. I'm not as careful as I'd like to be most of the time in, in mindfulness and Buddhism, um, Vipassana practice has really been helpful in right speech, which was one of the Buddha's eight part of the eightfold path. And to Trina's earlier point too, being, um, uh, con- not conservative, but, um, using words properly and the proper energy, being mindful of how much energy we're putting into that, what the words we're saying, being careful about uh, and conscious of other people's feelings and their sensitivities, right? Not being codependent in that way either, because that's very draining. But, um, but being aware of the impact our words can have on others. And as you, you know, as we meditate more and become more sensitive to the energy fields around us in a, in a real way, um, we can become more conscious of the impact of those words and be a little more intuitive about what's kind and appropriate in any given circumstance. Definitely. Yeah. I think of language as very sensual, like the words that we say and think about mm. If we taste them, you know, like are even just like closing our eyes and saying our reality to ourselves, feeling Mm -hmm. how that lands Mm -hmm. and 
Um, this was something that I learned is like a higher self activity that our emotions are like a calibration system. So if something is really out of touch or out of tune, it will feel irritating or graining on the system. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can still be tricky sometimes because I'll find myself, you know, stressed out in pain and the thoughts that are associated with that. It's hard to just let them go right away. Cause I'm like, Oh, well, of course they're causing me stress, but what's the deeper thing underneath here. Mm. But generally when I'm tuning into that system, um, I do it all the time for like astrology writing for like writing delineations. It's like, I want these delineations to empower people and help people. I don't want to scare people or instill limiting beliefs in anyone. Mm. So feeling into the resonance or the harmonics behind the language. Right. Um, and I just feel like that's so important and part of what can make you know language such a beautiful experience in our lives like part of um the music or the harmony in a space like Mm. conversation can be magical and enjoying like we can get together and like celebrate or kind of like create an energy together um all with words and word choice and and i love that you know you invoked a lot of the musical metaphor there for language and the and the rhythm and the tone and the lyricism that you can have in language when it's used to good effect, right? Mm-hmm. And how it can really, really transform people. And you know that going back to landmark, it's it's really, really focused on the exact use, exacting use of language in any of the courses that you take. It's very, very exacting because it as a as a whole understands the impact of language on the psyche, right? And yeah. how that can be transformative. Right. Do you have any like examples around phrases that mm. One that um, that uh, I shift my language when I describe something, like when I talk to Joshua, and you know, I'm trying to make sense of what he's saying, or I'm, I'm giving him my perspective, yeah. you know, my or my my interpretation of what he says. I would always start by instead of saying, you know, you, you know, seem very scattered minded right now. Like let's just make that an example, right? Something that could be like, no, I'm not, right? So I would say it occurs to me. I start by saying it occurs to me that you, you know, are scattered mind right now, right now. Right. So if I say it like that, I'm really, you know, kind of like putting um, that. You're taking responsibility for your yes, own perception at it, that point. Yeah. It's so not you are. That is, I'm not saying he is or accusing him, right. you know, but rather like I'm taking responsibility. Thank you for saying that. I'm taking responsibility for it. This is how you occur to me right now. Right. So even saying you occur, it occurs to me like this or, you know, um, it really shifts it. It kind of gives a little space between, you know, uh, our perception um, to that person and, you know, us actually like name calling them or like making them a certain way. Right. So even something like that makes such a difference. Mm -hmm. It's interesting how this is like refined like this is a skill that people are going in to take classes and mercury the god of communication i feel like there's also an association with skilled crafts Mm -hmm. right so like there's a 
a certain magic that opens up when we have these communication skills Absolutely. in the form of, you know, maybe more harmonious relating. Yes. Yeah. Um, and transformational interactions. Transformational. Being able to crack and open, yeah. you know, the possibility of any given moment yeah. through the skillful being able to read, notice, and then speak yeah. to the reality as we perceive it right there. If, and, and mostly, excuse me, but mostly being able to cut away all the noise that usually in is it is in the middle between two people having an interaction, right? There's like this this big middle area where all this garbage is going on and trying to clear all that out so that there can be a, a real, you know, interaction. Yeah. So communication. It, yeah, so in that in that communication when there is when there are tools that we can use to communicate effectively, it's like there all of a sudden there's a there's a little space or cushion between the ego talking and then putting that little cushion so that it's like um, it allows us to communicate to each other beyond the ego talking, right? Beyond the ego making judgment, assessment, making the other person wrong, having to be right all the time, you know, or trying to look good when we talk or, you know, trying to make someone look bad. So there's a space that occurs in that speaking, in that style of speaking, where first we take responsibility for how things occurred to us in the space of us evaluating or assessing someone and, you know, and then also to create space between us making them wrong. So it's like we're asking for permission in how we're speaking, you know, so that it doesn't come off like defensive or argumentative, you know, but rather like, you know, it's like um, prefacing it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I've been working on similar things. I'm like always curious to learn more of these like techniques because they are really transformative. Mm -hmm. um, but I've noticed that when I speak a truth or name a facet of reality in the moment with another person, that there's this enlivening spark, like the other person kind of jumps a little bit and is like, yeah, and then meets me there. Right. And otherwise, sometimes there can be that distance or like that space that you were talking about, Joshua, like sometimes like it's almost like a, um, like signals aren't coming through and it's like mm -hmm. almost just a confusion too of mm -hmm. like, well, what's actually happening here? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, a scrambler in the middle where signals are getting bounced around and then popping out distorted on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very true. And that, I think, is a large part of the mindfulness practice, too. And that's it's interesting. I mean, you know, mindfulness and and landmark really do go together in terms of trying to clean that act up. And that really involves taking responsibility for our own position on things and what is ours to understand and and know. And mindfulness, like you were talking before, Trina, really gives us a buffer between the um the uh, activity in the environment and our response to that activity, right? It's, I, I, the metaphor I always use is like tailgating on the freeway in two cars. If you're just in a reactive mode and you have no mindfulness about what you're doing, you're gonna bump into the rear bumper of that car if they hit the brakes or do something unexpected. Mm -hmm. And so what that does is gives us that distance between the two cars to react appropriately to whatever is happening. There's a space there where you can say, you can note to yourself, oh, wow, 
I'm really getting irritated right now. <laughs> Instead of just going into reaction, you're like, wow, irritation. That's fascinating. What's behind that? And then you can fall back on a little landmark training and say, wow, well, that's, you know, that's just part of my act in situations like this or whatever you've uncovered at that point. And then open your mouth a little bit later and say, wow, it really occurs to me that you're being irritated. No. <laughs> and that kind of communication really does. But it like, makes such a difference. Yeah, it really does it make does. a difference. It really, you know, it, it, it makes the relationship so, um, what's the word, like harmonious. And we can dance in it and we can be playful in it. So, you know, a, com a conversation that, you know, a couple may have after like they're in year two of dating. It's where like, it's like, okay, let's really see if this relationship is going to last, right? Year two or something. That's what I, I hear people say, like year two is a test. And, you know, we can speak from that place and um, use these tools to, you know, really like, um, um, to get to know each other and understand each other, right? And be able to express to the other person our point of view and knowing that, well, you, like, this this is just my perception, right? This is not the truth. And and please correct me. You know, it's like there's a, there's a grace in it too. Um, so, um, and going back to, like, uh, mindfulness, um, in, you know, being with, you know, when we're sitting in the cushion and a thought comes up or emotion arise, being able to use word to just note that, you know, experience that we're having, like how you were saying, like, you know, in that moment where you, you feel something in your body or, you know, you feel stressful or anxious is to note, you know, anxious, anxious or stress, stress or anxiety, whatever that is. Or just pain to, in my knee. Or pain, yeah. Or us, you know, pain or discomfort and just noting it, putting a word on it really does create mm. space so that we don't heavily identify to it and allow for it to cause us suffering. We objectify it. It objectify. helps us objectify exactly. it a little bit so that, that we are not identified with that yes. sensation or feeling. Yes. And in the moment that we note something and we are present that it's there, it's no longer that thing looting around mm. in the background, operating unconsciously. It's like when we bec become aware of the trauma, childhood trauma we had. We're present to it. So something that I do now of wanting to have to prove it to my dad, that 10-year-old, you know, who wants to prove it. Often it's like, wait a minute. Here I am trying to prove it to Joshua that I can do something. And then I'm like, wait, wait, that's there again. So I can, I can detect it and notice it. And then I have the option right then and there to set it down and no longer let it be what's operating me, you know, unconsciously. And how many people in the world do you encounter that are being driven by, you know, childhood motivations or feelings of lack or limitation that are creating a compensating personality that's trying to overcome those unovercomable, you know, seeds that we have, you know, that uprooting them and, and, and allowing them to dissolve in the clear light of awareness is really the only way to get through that. Yeah. It's interesting. That's having me think too about, um, just in my own experience of letting go of some of motivations like that, I mm -hmm. find my soul still reaching for similar activities. Mm -hmm. Like when I think about like my relationship with ambition, mm -hmm. definitely had times where it was like approving myself kind of thing. But then when that falls away, there's still this deeper ripple from within that still wants to create something out yeah. in the world. Yeah. And I find it interesting that the soul 
uh, the way that I look at it, like we have experiences in our life that are related to our soul constructs and complexes. Like James Hillman talks about, I think it was Hillman who was talking about this, like a um, bullfighter who as a kid had a lot of fear. was like very scared and would like hide under his mom's skirt and just like underneath that, you know, and then you have the um, waving the flag or the fabric in front of the bull. And so just that sense that this child already knew that he was going to be a bullfighter one day. So no wonder he was cowering Mm. as a kid because he already felt that, but he didn't have the capacity yet in his incarnate personality structure to deal with that future. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. You know, I really love, I really love what you were talking about there in terms of the soul structure and how it's put together and the impressions. And that ties in with Buddhism and reincarnation and karma Right. And while the Buddha didn't talk specifically, he said, I don't know what happens after we die. Right. And and he was asked, well, if we don't have a soul, what reincarnates? He said, it's like a flame passing from one candle to the next. Is it the same flame or is it a different flame? And that's just something to ruminate on. But the the concept is karmic DNA. You know, it's it's a very complex set of impressions that create this sense of desire, longing, and aversion that we have that is the tendency, the basket of tendencies that come into the next life and then try and live themselves out in the expression of the body in this incarnation, right? And I really also further would say that, you know, DNA as we know it isn't actually as important as RNA. The DNA encodes the protein, but the RNA is the timing of the protein being encoded. And that is really what determines that. And and much, many times throughout the Buddhist literature, they talk about how every karma will ripen at its own time. Mm -hmm. And so we have these proteins, karmic proteins that are in our soul's DNA that will in time ripen as the karmic DNA um, unfolds in our lives. And so it, it, the whole concept got really dumbed down in Western you know, thought. It was just kind of like pool balls hitting each other. Well, you hit somebody, they're going to hit you back. Well, maybe not. It's really about the spiritual emotional tendency that was created in that moment that lives on in the ripples of energy and then comes back. You know, like waves hitting the shore and coming back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it never goes away. You know, like what you're saying, Sabrina, like how these childhood trauma we have, it's always there. It's something that, you know, we we cannot erase. That's part of what makes us who we are, you know. And then actually, like when we get present to that, uh, we can actually use that as a... um, uh, we can play with that energy, you know, mm. of how we were dealt that hand or that happened to us. And then it shaped how we're being like always, you know, um, and uh, we can use that to still um, express ourselves in the world. Right. But using it for good, using it for uh, like as a creative outlet, Right. Yeah. And that's so beautiful. Like talking about that, you know, you said the, the bull, the bull rider and like, that's so beautiful that he took that and, you know, that became his expression in the world. And it no longer like had, you know, like um, caused him to suffer, you know? And yeah, I mean, I, I can say that, 
you know, a thousand times about how that moment in my life really defined everything I do on a daily, all the time, you know, wanting to be useful and effective and, you know, a contribution and knowing that, you know, has me be at peace with, oh, this is what drives me and that's okay. You know, that's okay. And it's wonderful. Yeah. Let's just allow for it to flow. And know? to be able to understand the trigger when the trigger. somebody says we're being irresponsible. <laughs> Right. Because that's like, you know, and knowing those triggers about ourselves, and it takes a a long time to mine ourselves to find those, the real roots of it. And one of the things that Trina pointed out to me in Landmark is, and, and when you're being coached in some places, when you really hit on that and you mentioned it, you'll see somebody's state change. They'll have a state change right in front of you. Their whole being will shift. You can be searching around and talking about it. And there's a word or, or two that will just suddenly resonate. And that person will open up and you can see it in their face that you've really hit on, on the spot. And when I used the first word irresponsible, she literally, I mean, was back on her heels and was like, oh my gosh, that's it. That's the word. That's the word. For me, And yeah. so the power of words yeah. right there, mm-hmm. back to your point, mm-hmm. that one word opened a tremendous door for Trina to her understanding of herself and her motivations and fears and aversions yeah. in life. My dad would always say, like, you're irresponsible, you know, you're useless. So whenever I, you know, so in this past weekend, when we went through the communication course, access to power uh, together, um, you know, I was able to uncover furthermore into that. And that one word of like, you know, I'm not useless. The world is harsh. So it's always finding like, you know, I, I am not x and the world is you know y so finding what is that what is that word for you you know and we really arrive at that you know how that operates you know in our way of communication to the world um really it it, it's it's eye-opening to see like wow so in my speaking it's always there for me to try to continue to prove how useful i am how resourceful i am how i can do it all right and um it's amazing because words, you know, in, in Landmark, it talks about, you know, um, it's a study of an ontology, right? So our relationship to words and how it shapes our being. And we really get to uncover that in a big way. And even in mindfulness practice, using words to note our experience, you know, and creating space between our self awareness and thought or awareness and emotion. And it allows for us to experience a space and in that space there is an opportunity to be free from that we're no longer tied to that that thing that experience that you know was like um you know wars down or binded us but rather we're able to like undo the knots and then become free of it you know and it's really moment to moment because I could be you know aware of this now but in the next moment if I don't practice awareness that could be fleeting again. And then I'm off chasing after another yes. business venture, <laughs> opening more oh, locations <laughs> for my business. And then it's like, wait a minute, one day, well, how did I get here? <laughs> you know, so it is waking up is, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's not a, a noun, but it's a verb. It's a, it's a verb. It's, it's not a practice. an event. It's a process. Yeah, it's a yeah. process. And it's a verb that it's a moment to moment practice of waking up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. It's a whole different quality of life. Mm-hmm. Like 
It's interesting. Um, mindfulness has not been something that I've explored in depth for a long period of time. But whenever I enter the mindfulness field, I have these, you know, transcendent types of experiences. And I feel from the way that both of you embody it and talk about it, that there's this um, pleasure in it, that there's still excitement. Mm -hmm. I think when I was younger, I had a fear of like spiritual evolution and spiritual development because I thought that I wouldn't be able to have fun or be like a wild person or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm sensing more this quality of just like aliveness and sensation and being with and um it feels like I feel like in astrology language I'm sensing so much Aquarius or like Aquarius is the detached witness or like mm -hmm. witness consciousness mm -hmm. and from being in that space it's not about leaving life or not being here but mm -hmm. just not being so in it that you can't see what's happening yeah yeah, there's I, you know, in, in some of our meditations in the morning, I call our um, the object of meditation or the breath or something, our seat in the theater of awareness. So we're taking our seat by connecting to the sensations of the breath. And there we're able to see the screen of all that's being projected out there on there instead of having our face so close to the screen that we can't differentiate yeah. ourselves from what's happening on the screen. Yeah. And so, when, when we're so lost in trance this trance state sometimes we get so tense with our life and we it becomes so serious right and suffocating so when we can take a step back and like watch ourselves in our lives like as if we're watching you know a show or something you know we can f identify the patterns and the absurdities you know of <laughs> yeah. our life oh my gosh and and you know make light of it and and and, and there for me that's where the joy lies it's like totally. laughing at myself oh, yeah. you know at my own absurdity like <laughs> we have that in common I love laughing at you too no. <laughs> <laughs> thank you honey Yay. we spend a lot we spend a lot of time laughing at ourselves and one of the things that I love most about Trina is her is her grasp of the absurd absurdity of a lot of human behavior i've never met anybody in my whole life who got it in the same way that i did and so we share oh. that we share that commonality and it's such a deep part of who i am because anybody who's known me for any period of time knows that i'm pretty absurd i'm kind of an odd bird in a lot of ways and so to be able to share that part of my soul with somebody or my my person is is truly one of the most precious gifts of our relationship because we end up laughing and laughter is the best medicine, right? Really you know, you can't take yourself too seriously. Yeah. And I, I look forward to being able to do that for a long time Thank together. You. Yeah. Yeah. And to oh. what you're saying, you know, about spirituality, like it really is coming to that place where we don't take, you know, ourselves so seriously that I'm always right or, you know, that I got to look good or things has to be done a certain way or, you know, like it's not enough yet. So it's got to be perfect. So we let go of that kind of like words that we use. Right. And the way we speak to ourselves, the way we speak to others, the way we view the world and to shift to I don't really know. I can't be too sure about anything, you know, and when we like kind of loosen that up. That, that that view up, you know, those fixed views get loosened up a little bit and we loosen our body up a little bit, then, you know, everything just becomes soft and, you know, flowy and um, 
And, uh, you know, and then when we make mistakes or others make mistakes, it's so... It's not a crisis. It's not a crisis. Yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, well, that happened. And mm. of course, why not? Right? <laughs> why not? Why not, you know, a mistake comes up? It's Yeah. I love this, too, because in uh, with Aquarius, the opposite sign is Leo, and that's all about play and humor. Mm, and it is kind yeah. of the drama or the theater or, like, some Leo images. But mm. the sense that the more that you see life... Um, I don't know if I'd say like objectively, but just from that, like, like you can see it with detachment. You yes. can see how absurd certain things are yeah. um, and enjoy them from a different vantage point. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. That. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it makes just life so, um, what, what's the word? Like, so there's an ease to it, you know, and um, and in that space where there's ease, the, you know, the mind can you know find stability the body can you know find you know stability and and then you know that that allows for us to experience good health experience allow for us to experience clarity and um and you know the energy flow within our body is just moving and you know it's just it radiates outward right and now that's to me that's that's priceless to have a practice that you know is feeding us every day it's like you know it's it's like a a spiritual medicine you know to go onto the cushion and practice every day that brings up one of my favorite words which is entrainment which is that objects in a certain field will resonate with the same vibration like if you put seven bells on a table and ring one of them the other ones will entrain with that vibration and we can entrain others in our own vibration in our vibrational field you know one way or the other for good or for ill and so like you said earlier why not for good yeah Yeah. i feel that Mm -hmm. like i you know we were just to bring in a thread earlier you were talking this was before we were recording but you were saying that you know there's like an emotional dumping versus using using language intentionally and sometimes I think about the internet in this way or like the way that we embody space in a social environment that simply being ourselves and being expressive from a place of generosity can then entrain the Mm. environment Mm. but um I don't think you know I think early on when I started to develop this ethos that participating on the internet could be a way of like bringing beautiful ideas Mm -hmm. to like lots of people like you have a broadcast signal I would see like I don't think everyone thinks of it that way (laughs) because sometimes people just post to kind of vent Mm -hmm. um and not that it's you know sometimes sharing what's coming up for you you find a whole support network of people who Mm -hmm. care like Mm -hmm. I definitely found that when I'm Mm -hmm. honest on the internet about having a struggle but that's not my go-to every time I go online is to complain or just emotionally offload because I know that someone else is going to receive that. Yeah. And that's just kind of like, it feels like that's already in the air. Why not put something else out there that's beautiful? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I also think you touched on something that's really important too, is using our words to be able to commune with others in places when we're not feeling so well to let out, you know, this isn't all about rainbows and unicorns all the time. Right. I mean, we've got, there are times where we need the community of friends and that's why in Buddhism, you have the Sangha, you've got your community of like-minded people that are there to support you in, in the tough times so that you can have people to talk to. And I've got my recovery community. That's a great support network for me. And I feel really 
a lot of compassion and desire to give that to more people, um, a community or a philosophy that they can fall back on so that they feel that sense of support, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the internet is famous for being a dumping ground of a lot of that stuff, but it's also a tremendous place for the propagation of really beneficial ideas. And uh, it's, I've watched so much happen. I mean, you know, over the last 15 years um, with the internet and, you know, it's still in its infancy in a lot of ways, right? There's still a lot of filtering that's going on and a lot of things that are going to evolve and come out of it. Um, and, but I think Trina and I both take a stand for accentuating that positive part of it and to be a force for good. And that's what we can do, you know, and, and to help people who are suffering with, you know, like just like our past president, it's obvious that person was in a lot of pain. It was in a lot of pain and was suffering from some childhood trauma that they didn't understand and was acting out on that and, uh, and caused a lot of suffering as a result. And so that's the kind of impact we can have in the world if we're not in touch with our motivating factors and what's driven us to do the things that we're going to do. You know, blind ambition could run our whole lives and we wouldn't even know. You know the, I've never been able to find it before uh, since, but I, I do remember the Buddha talking about the metaphor of the um, of the invisible horseman. It's like we're horses with a carriage behind us and there's a, somebody whipping us and that's our unconscious motivators that are causing us to just run forward and because our eyes are always pointing forward we never see what's whipping us from behind to keep mm -hmm. us running forward in that blind motivation or ambition and it's only when we pause and use tools like mindfulness or landmark to reflect on our own experience in a real way um, and then look turn around and see that oh wait a minute there's nothing there it was us all along mm -hmm. in a lot of ways it was just the constructs of the mind you know wow yeah I love that image and definitely resonate mm. with that. Yeah. Mm. I, it's interesting. A lot of um, what we're talking about, I have this like astrological bank of like, oh, there's this, mm. that's 12th house. And so I'm kind of getting yeah. this new perspective around um, when we have a simple system or like language or linguistic capacities to just more intricately describe what's happening in reality, then we gain the capacity for reflection. Totally. Um, that's a beautiful insight. I love that. That's really, mm -hmm. and that's why words and language have been so important to me, you know, and, and to me, it's a, it's a, it's an ongoing mystery as I'm, you know, my major in college was Mandarin Chinese and it was such a fascinating mystery to learn that language, just meaningless symbols sitting on a page and then to decipher that over time was great. And now I'm taking on the challenge of Vietnamese, which is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, another whole challenge, but it's, it's like, uh, it's like a mystery that you're solving over time. And so it is with our language also and how we can impact and, and help others to move forward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this has been super magical. I suppose to close us out, I'd love to hear from both of you, like something that is like alive or kind of like, um, blossoming in your field at the moment. Mm. I think for me, it's, it's really, what's up for me right now is, um, about taking care of ourselves, not in a, not in a 
I don't know what's the word self-indulgent way, but really taking care of our health. And as we take care of ourselves, we take care of others in the planet. Also, you know, I had two parents who didn't take care of themselves and suffered greatly as a result. And uh, for me, being mostly healthy after a long period of time where I was unhealthy is really important to me. And, and, and to treat the body, we do, we do a self massage after every meditation session in the morning, just four minutes, but it's paying attention to your body in a way that you normally don't. That's been really transformative for me. And so mm. what's up for me is that, uh, I, I would love more people to be involved with their own physicality in that, in that, uh, non-indulgent, but yet meditative way it really makes a difference in the world i think mm-hmm. beautiful yeah yeah so i'm i'm committed to you know having others supporting others and guiding others and having a uh, a solid daily mindfulness practice a practice of you know coming back to the present moment however that could look maybe it's like you know i see participants say i don't have time every day to to meditate and so maybe i can invite them to just sit for 10-15 minutes and um eat your meal and really notice it you know chew your food or have a cup of tea or coffee and really be fully present to it and have a taste of what it's like to practice mindfulness so i'm really committed to um uh sharing this you know this practice and presenting it in a way that has people feel inspired and wanting to take action and wanting to to um put that into their daily life um and um, i feel a sense of urgency you know as we've seen in history already in the last you know four ten years or um how you know the country has really shifted and you know just the world too since the pandemic and um i feel a sense of urgency to um, have this, you know, be available for more people and, you know, being presented, you know, um, to the, the younger generations, you know, I mean, people, you know, a lot of people that I meditate with, particularly on retreats and such are usually like at least 10 years older than me, right. Or older, but now the gap is closing as I'm getting older. And, uh, and so, you know, what I like to do is really, um, extend that out to, uh, those in their you know 20s and even teens and you know have people really see the importance of this when you develop this early on it's like the mind can you know it's it's like it's still moldable and you can still shape it really easily right it's like learning a language at the age of seven you can really pick it up very fast but after seven it's like you you know you can't quite do it as well and so it's like that with mindfulness when we start at a young age um it really does there's like the ground is so fertile already so any seeds any wholesome seeds that you plant in that ground you know really like you know bears um blooms beautifully and it grows beautifully and it bears amazing fruits you know for that individual you know later on in the 30s 40s 50s 60s and 70s right and until they take their last breath so i'm really committed to um being able to share this work and actually getting myself back online like having a strong online presence to be um a resource for others for our listeners and uh for those who want to you know um uh, who've always yearned for uh, daily practice, uh, I invite 
them to join us. You know, I invite them to join us and experience, you know, mindfulness, just a taste of it every day, just for 20 minutes. Like, you know, 20 minutes could be used to, you know, be on our phone on Instagram or Facebook, right? Just kind of scrolling through or that 20 minutes can be used to really create every morning with intentionality. And, you know, it's like clearing ourselves of, you know, the past, what happened yesterday, what may go on today, and just really be able to settle that down and clear ourselves of it and begin our day anew every morning. So um, I'm really committed to to, um, to that. And people who are listening can join you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yes. So I'll share a link in the notes. Yes, yes. Great. Can you share the details? Yeah, so at the website is omtraininggroup.com and on the landing page there is um, uh, a link that you know takes them into our um, our uh, uh, Zoom link to join us every morning. It's 6.30 a.m. Pacific time and that's like 8.30 Central time, 9.30 uh, Eastern time. So we have people from all across, from L.A., from New York, Chicago, from everywhere that joins us. And um, it's just really wonderful. It's um uh, you know, people come and sometimes they practice for a while, they get something out of it and they're like, I'm good. And then they're no longer there. But really the key is to is, you know, continuity is practicing mindfulness like um, and having consistency in that. And that's what builds that muscle, you know, to have the strength to, you know, concentrate and focus and, you know, being with things as they are and being able to develop that, you know, that wisdom that comes from inside when we sit on the cushion, you know, and carrying that into our life, you know. It really is kind of like going to the gym yeah. where you're just doing the reps. And then when that really incredibly difficult circumstance shows up, you've got the strength, the mindfulness yeah. to be able to just be present to that. And yeah. so it's really helpful that way. It's been so wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you yes. so much. So beautiful. It's so wonderful. Thank you for listening. If you've been enjoying this podcast and you have something to say about it, I would love to read your review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you take a screenshot of your review before you click submit and email it to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com, I'll send you a resource library about creating and elevating your reality. It includes one of the favorite one of my favorite lectures I've ever given called Play and the Evolution of Alternate Realities. And it's about the Leo Aquarius axis, which you heard me talking about in this episode too. And the way that play is this primal creative state from which we can create reality and that human, you know, society and religion and all of this, if you trace it back based on the scholarship of Robert Bella, there is a correlation between mammalian play, the capacity for play and how that turned into culture and, you know, what we think of as normal life today. So when it comes to wanting to change your life or create something in your life, knowing how to play with the Leo Aquarius axis is super important. But the um, there's several hours of videos in there with transmissions about the intersection between manifestation and astrology. And of course, Please back the Kickstarter campaign before it ends. We have until July 19th, 2021. If you love this podcast, show your support, help fund a year ahead. As I've you know been saying, there is a lot of labor that goes into this every week. And 
I do love doing it and I'll do it kind of no matter what the result of the Kickstarter campaign. Um, but it's really nice and, you know, genuinely supporting in life to have the support of community in return for sharing these things and, you know, just kind of for going out on a ledge or on a limb or whatever the phrase is like this in terms of designing a life where I don't have an employer and I have all these transmissions and writing and sharing that comes through me. And I've really chosen to just do that and lead with that and I'm on my seventh year now of writing weekly forecasts and in the last couple of years added in magic of the spheres to bring in more conversations about astrology and things beyond astrology. Um, and that's just like a rippling energy of life force that moves through me. And I prioritize that over say like finding a job and being employed. And that being said, you know, still having things work out in the material world, uh, I have learned, you know, how to be in business as an astrologer and as a coach and as a teacher and all the same, having this Kickstarter is a really meaningful addition to the income that I'm able to make as an astrologer and as a coach. And so if you love this podcast and you're not necessarily feeling called to participate in a course or work with me one-on-one, you know, or even if you are, wherever you're at, if you enjoy the podcast, the Kickstarter is a way to support this work in of itself um, for all the value that it has potentially brought into your life. So thank you so much for listening and I hope that you have a beautiful day. Mm -hmm.